Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini, the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, and the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College. It is my great pleasure to be back with you today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very important time when diversity, equity, and inclusion have never been more important. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Donald Thompson. Donald is Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of the Diversity Movement, known globally for its groundbreaking diversity, equity, and inclusion programming that drives real-world business results, his company was named to Inc. Magazine's 2021 Best in Business list in DEI Advocacy. He is also the author of the enlightening and timely book, Underestimated, A CEO's Unlikely Path to success. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Donald. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. The honor is all ours. Please tell our listeners from what city and state you are speaking this morning. I'm coming to you uh, this morning from Apex, North Carolina. Our offices are in Raleigh, but but I live in Apex and, uh, and, and glad to be here. Well, the honor is all ours to have someone of your ilk on our show today. And I must say, North Carolina, a lot more beautiful than Brooklyn. So <laughs> that's very, very jealous, the listeners and I. That's for sure. <laughs> Sadly, we've only got about 30 minutes. So we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Your story is so amazing because you did not go right for college, if we understand correctly. Do you think skipping a college degree impacted your career at all? And if so, how? Well, so one of the things, you know, I, I signed to play football at East Carolina University. So I did go to some college. I spent a couple of years uh, there. Uh, and then when my football dreams changed, my enthusiasm for college kind of uh, changed as well. To answer your question, uh, the answer is absolutely yes. If you think about um, in the early 90s, right? A college degree was a requirement still for any significant roles. So that means instead of having 15, 20, 30 interviews to find a good role, I probably had to talk to 100 companies to get in the door. Because wow. if I wanted to do something in technology sales, pharmaceuticals, anything like that, there was a very big stigma on not having a degree. The second component is that it created an environment where not only am I an African-American uh, business leader, not only do I not have a degree, I stack the deck with some roadblocks, right? In terms of people's perception. 
It didn't mean I didn't overcome it, but it certainly was something I had to address in every business conversation I had when I was looking for career opportunities. This is so interesting because I had a 30-year career in big pharmaceuticals before becoming a Franciscan brother. And I'm thinking back to the 90s there about the college degree and almost that requirement uh, to get into our great organization at that time. Yeah, I'm very, very curious. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Do you think more and more organizations will lean towards skill-based hiring in the future over the four-year degree? Share us all about this, please. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple trends that um, make that very, very appropriate, right? Number one, talent is a scarcity component right now. That means companies can't be as rigid uh, as they once were and still compete in the global economy. So companies have to look to community colleges, for example, certificates over college degree, life experience, right? And really to boil it down, does the person have the skills, the aptitude, and the cultural alignment to be able to do the job? And if they can answer those questions, then we need to talk to those people. And it is very different now in major corporations, small businesses across the board. The difference being a lot of people are still holding themselves back from applying for different roles because they think the bias of the past still exists. Whereas I talk to CEOs and HR leaders and different things, part of your show's premise, right, is that personal responsibility. So what we have to do is let ourselves off the hook for what we don't have and better amplify in our communication of our skills, what we do have and what we can add value to the organization. Wow. You just mentioned three very, very important things. And the first one was skills. What essential skills, Donald, should workers have if they are going to especially circumvent a degree? So in most any career these days, your digital aptitude is really important. That doesn't mean you have to be able to code software. That means you need to understand the basic elements of social media. It means you have to have strong communication skills, both verbally, but also in a written form. Because what we're dealing with is a distributed workforce now that's global, Zoom, hybrid working. So that means you're going to interact with colleagues across the business spectrum in a lot more digital-centric ways than ever before. So that's number one. Number two, it's your learning capacity. It's not just what you know, but what are some examples of where you learn something new quickly and applied it for business gain over time? That's a skill set that employers and teams are looking for. And then the third thing that I would say is your ability to work across generations. It is the one time in my history as a business person that folks that are Gen X, folks that are uh, millennials, folks that are Gen Z are all in the same environment together. And we have to learn to really understand each other so that we can collaborate together. This is so fascinating to me. You've said so many nuggets right there. If you don't mind, let's peel the onion on a couple of them, please. First, social media. I know, for example, thank God for Monday, we're on the tweet tweet and the Facebook and the ticky tocky. I'm just curious, Donald, are there one or two of those that you really highly recommend somebody needs to know or the more the better? Uh, I don't think more the better. Um, I think that makes it a little noisy for folks that are just moving in that space. And also, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, really shows how you need to focus on social media. From a business perspective, job performance, growing your career, 
LinkedIn is your new best friend. That is the space to where you have your digital business card. You can develop some opinions and perspectives on things where you are an expert. So I highly recommend LinkedIn. And outside of that, one can now pick what you're most comfortable. But I think LinkedIn should be the cornerstone for all business professionals. It's funny because I teach a class at St. Francis College. It's a Franciscan career transformation class. We were just talking about LinkedIn. And the students really didn't have a full agreement as to when uh, someone, whether they're in college or not, needs to be on LinkedIn. Is there a certain age that you recommend? When should someone really jump into LinkedIn? So let's think about this. It's um, when you think about college students and young professionals, when do they start preparing for their marketing career? When do they start getting interns if they want to go into sales? They do that pretty early. So LinkedIn is a part of that foundation building learning exercise, right along with all of your other educational components. So this, the answer is start right now. Wow. Uh, great, great answer. Certainly. You also mentioned about generational differences. Oh, now, yeah. I, I'm an old baby boomer, certainly. I know <laughs> most of us have kind of exited out of the workforce or exiting at this point. But very interesting. You mentioned about X and millennials and Z. Talk to us, please, a little bit about, God bless you, about indeed these differences and why we need to pay attention to them. Gen Z is the most multicultural, most digital-centric uh, uh, grouping, right, in our society. And they're impacting the workforce both as consumers and as employees. And so one of the things that I'll use those that group as an example is that while they don't believe that organizations have to be nonprofits, they believe profit is good, they have an expectation that organizations have a social perspective. They have an expectation that their managers care about them as a whole person. They have an expectation that they're going to be given opportunities to move in advance and the company make money, right? So they, they believe that, yes, the company should be financially viable, should be strong in the marketplace, should have high standards, but they hold a stronger account for the interpersonal empathetic mindset as well. And that's something when you think about baby boomers, Gen X, we were managed, I give you money, you do this job, right? If, if something's bothering yes. you, you handle that on your personal time. Sure. Right? If, if you need to cry, cry at home, right? But there's no crying at the office, right? <laughs> that was a mentality, whereas now there's an expectation in the workplace for an empathetic style of leadership. And so that cuts across generations and forces new leadership models that some CEOs are gra grappling with. Wow, uh, that, that is amazing. Now, speaking of crying, today more than ever, there seems to be so much adversity for people starting out, whether they've gone to college a couple of years, no years, four years. Help us out. You are such a role model of perseverance, Donald. How can those starting out maintain ambition you know, through this adversity? So one of the things that helped me because my story is about peaks and valleys. And the valleys is where you demonstrate courage. The valleys are where you demonstrate commitment and conviction. Um, the valleys are where you confirm what you really believe. And that belief is also about self. And so I'll think about it like this. Um, if you believe success is your destiny and it is something that you will ultimately achieve, 
then why give up independent of the cert of the of the current short-term pain it doesn't mean the pain doesn't exist it doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist it means if you are an overcomer then this is an opportunity to demonstrate it and so what i had to decide in my valleys right is whether i was going to be an example of victory or i was going to be an example of victim and i had and you have to reaffirm that commitment and so i had to on a daily basis when i was in my valley i had to reaffirm victor over victim and the oh. more you choose victory right the more you choose victory that habit is built and then all of a sudden step by step right you climb out of that valley the more you choose victim right the more you you nestle in right to your negative circumstance and so choose victory but you've got to make that choice every day you've got to make that choice in the face of that adversity it's not easy but it's doable right because we're built and we're designed right to succeed and so we've got to remember those things when it counts not just in the kumbaya moments right where it sounds good it feels mm. good, right but where it, it really matters and that's in our personal and professional valleys oh that's so beautiful at seton hall we have the motto hazard zed forward advance despite difficulties you are an incredible role model donald of advance despite difficulties now you mentioned the word leader before this the 21st century 2022 what are the skills really you believe Donald, every leader should have now in 2022? Uh, communication skills are critically important. Wow. And let, me, and let me be very specific, right? Please. Because one of the things that enhances an employee's experience, productivity, is how they are communicated with about the standard of excellence for an organization, how they are delivered feedback for improvement, how they are delivered career mapping. So you as a leader can raise the production and productivity of your team based on the quality of your communication skills. That doesn't mean everything is fluffy. You may have to communicate some things as a leader that your team needs to improve. But do you do that with a spirit of helpfulness, a spirit of advancement, or do you do that in a manner that tears people down? You don't have to change the standard but you have to deliver the information and insights in a more uplifting way versus a more command and control way. So communication is number one. The second thing is humility. People want to follow leaders that understand their strengths and weaknesses and aren't afraid to say, you know what, I need to learn something in this area. People want authentic leadership more than ever before. And that means as leaders, we have to be a little bit more open about where we're strong and where we're weak. And the third thing that I will say is anytime as a leader, you can create an environment where we're in this together, right? Oh. That is the kind of teamship that you want to build. So those are a couple of things yeah. that I think are are critical. And, and I talk with leaders that I, that I coach to try to help them generate that empathetic leadership. The way that I describe it is building inclusive leaders. That's amazing, certainly. One of the things we're going to talk about shortly in class is feedback. Mm. Share with us a little bit more, please, Donald, if I, if you may, uh, the importance of feedback. So we've all heard the term, uh, the sandwich method, right? Say something good, <laughs> say something coaching, critical, then say something good, right? I want to blow that up, right? <laughs> when when, when um, 
when you need to give feedback to your team, they don't want a sandwich, right? Here's what I think people crave, and I've seen this. When you have to help someone get to the next level and give them some areas they need to improve, what they want to know is what success looks like. Oh. Why did they miss the mark and what they need to do to improve to hit the mark and how you're going to help them hit the mark, right? So instead of taking the time with the fluffy stuff, it's more about, Jonathan, here's uh, our targets. There's a gap between our current performance and our agreed upon targets. But what I'd like to do, Jonathan, is have a discussion with you about how you and I are going to work together so that we're both really excited about meeting or exceeding that outcome. Here's a couple of ideas I have. I'd like to hear yours. We're attacking the problem. We're not sugarcoating whether or not a, a gap exists between the standard, but we're looking at how we can get there together. What's my responsibility as a leader? What's your responsibility as a team member? And then let's get to it, right? Let's, let's get to it. That is absolutely brilliant. Now, it's hard to believe we're in the month of November already, January, not that far away. January being designated National Mentoring Month. You talk about it in this great book of yours about mentoring. How does mentorship really impact careers? Help us out, please, Donald. Most successful sports figures, most successful folks that are leading in the religious community, most successful leaders in business has had someone or somebodies that has given them points of guidance in an impactful way that's accelerated their growth. How could we expect to succeed on our own at a high level if Michael Jordan in basketball still had a coach, Phil Jackson? Wow. Right? If Joe Montana still had a coach, Bill Walsh, right? If business leaders and such. So mentorship, number one, allows you to accelerate your growth because you can learn from the experience missteps from others, number one. Number two, it's really difficult to be your best teacher because we all have a skewed view with what we think we're good at, where we think we're struggling. We need someone to counterbalance our personal perspective with a little truth serum. And we all need a little truth serum every now and then. Oh, right. I know and I so, do. So me as well. Like, so I, I, I am, I, and, and that's why I put in the book. I'm so thankful for the mentors that I've had because we all need a little truth serum. And so those are some of the things that I think you can gain from a powerful mentoring relationship. How can the mentee you just mentioned about relationship make the most of the relationship with the mentor? When someone gives you a suggestion, try it and then circle back with feedback on how that suggestion was implemented with your mentor. Mentors typically give more energy, enthusiasm, engagement to mentees that try what is suggested. It doesn't mean that everything that I share with you is the exact right thing for you. Oh, to do, wow. Right? Okay. But some of those things should be attempted that we can tweak together and that we create a learning machine, right? Verse you listening, taking notes, but taking no action. People that are mentors love to work with people that are competitive learners. And being a competitive learner means consuming information and insight and action, oh. demonstrating the change. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Now, it's interesting you mentioned Phil Jackson. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but if we understand correctly, your father actually coached football? He did. I am, I am a son of a football coach. And so 
uh, it, it created an environment where I moved around a lot as a child, but I was around very high level athletics from a very early age. Oh, all the way for my father's football teams. I got to spend time with these amazing athletes and what it taught me, right. Is number one work ethic. Number two, you can't do anything that matters by yourself. The team matters. Right. And it also taught me that no matter how hard you prepare, you're going to have some wins and sometimes you're going to have some losses. <laughs> you better learn how to bounce back from losses uh, or you're going to get more of them. So those are some of the things I learned from being in that athletic environment. That's great, great advice. If I perceive from the book also, you learned about recruiting talent from him being a football coach. Is that true? And if so, share with us more about that, please, Don. One of the things that my dad always did well, and he was a coach for 30 years, is he was oh. an expert at finding diamonds in the rough. So finding that talent that was overlooked by the brand teams, if you will, and getting the same level of productivity by coaching, by, by working with and talent. And here's the, the thing that he taught me. You want to find people independent of size, talent, all those things. Yes, everybody's looking for in football that love the sport. Because when you love your sport, you're going to naturally work harder than other people because you love what you're doing every day. If football to a person is just a way to get to the NFL to make money, that's fine. You're talented, you're fast, you're big, great. But if you love something, then you'll do it every day because you want to be great for the love of that game. And that's a different mentality than just the physical attributes. The second thing is my dad always told me he wanted to evaluate players against their best competition when they were facing adversity. Oh, wow. Their highlight reels against folks they were bigger than or faster than. How did they match up when they got knocked down, when they saw some adversity and how they could bounce back from that? It's very similar in the questions I ask in corporate America. For example, when I'm talking to candidates, tell me about your biggest failure and how did you overcome it? I, I see resumes all the time that tout all of the successes. Sure. I want to know how you bounce back from setbacks. Oh, wow. That's, that would be telling about someone, and no question about that. Now, one of the other interesting concepts you talk about is an employee's individual superpower. How can leaders really help their or find their employees? What is this all about? Please, Donald. Oh, my gosh. Typically, if you think about us as individuals, right, we gravitate to things that we like and things that we're good at. The reason we gravitate to things we like is because it's fun to do things you like. The reason why you gravitate to things you're good at is because that's where recognition lives. So people like to do things that are fun and they like to do things that where they get recognition. Well, if you can find that in an employee to where there's a certain area where they're liking what they're doing and they're succeeding so they get rec recognition, you want to craft roles where they do more of that because then you're going to keep an engaged employee more naturally. So as a leader, you have to look at what the portfolio, the job description is of, an, of a team member, but you also need to shape that job description to really take advantage of that person's really powerful skill set because their superpower focused on those one or two things can probably add so much more value that you often can hire someone else to do the things they're not good at. 
Oh, that makes wonderful, wonderful sense. And it's very motivating. I have to make this next statement. I don't want to. And I'm kind of ashamed to say it, Donald, but you are one of still very, very few Black CEOs. This, to me, is a shame in 2022. What can we do to get more diversity in the C-suite? One of the things I think is important, and I'll look from a consumer standpoint, is where you see business owners in your community, give them an opportunity to earn your business. Number one, right? Where you see, uh, and and that's CEOs in the business context, that's somebody that owns a plumbing shop, an accounting firm, give them an opportunity to earn your business. So opportunity to earn your business, number one. Number two, it's really about how we have young people uh, that see examples of what they can be. So you having me on this show, for example, is a very powerful thing. You having guest speakers into your classroom from different backgrounds is very powerful. Use everything that we all have at the tip of our spear, right, to do what we can to promote the the visuals so that it becomes more normalized. I'll give a sports example, um, but 20, 30 years ago, there weren't that many black quarterbacks. And Doug Williams was the Super Bowl MVP Oh, yes, I do remember that. Right? And so now if you look forward and you look at the Patrick Mahomes of the world, the Lamar Jacksons of the world, right? If you look at the Jalen Hurts of the world, right? Now all of a sudden, if you look at the New York uh, football giants, right? Their starting quarterback's not African-American, but Tyrod Taylor is their backup quarterback, right? You now start to see these images. So young people that are looking at the game of football can see themselves in this leadership position. It's hard to dream what you can't see. Wow. Most people don't have that faith muscle strong enough for that. So we have to alter our imagery, right? When people saw Barack, independent of someone's politics, when young people saw Barack Obama as president or Kamala Harris as a vice president, that's imagery. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about leadership imagery of what we can all do and become. And we have to promote those things, right? So that we can expand the vision of young people across the board. Oh, that is so, so beautiful. Now, I don't know if I mentioned, do I mention it about my corporate career, but I'm a recovering CPA. That's what I did most of those years. So I'm sorry to say, even though I'm a Franciscan brother, I still have this bias toward profitability. I'm sorry about this. So do diversity, equity, inclusion impact profits, Donald? If so so- think, think about it like this. So number one, absolutely yes, without any question. So let's talk about um, making money, saving money, and reducing your risk. How do you make money with DEI? If your brand has an authentic storytelling that incorporates a multicultural vision, you can have more customers. And if you have more customers, you can make more money. If your employee branding has a multicultural heartbeat, you have more diversity opportunity to hire the best talent. How can you actually have the best talent if everyone in your company looks like you? It's impossible. And since talent drives innovation, innovation drives productivity. If you have a diverse board of directors, we've seen the numbers show that that impacts profitability. So the business metrics are absolutely there as to whether or not diversity, equity, inclusion is a profit driver. The key is, how do we help corporations tap into 
that profit motive and not be ashamed to use DEI as a way to be strategic, competitive, and win in the marketplace. And that's what we help people do at the diversity movement. Uh, thank God you were doing this. No question about it. We've saved Donald the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners purchase this great book, Underestimated? How can they best follow you, please? Thank you so much for, for, for asking that question. Anywhere you buy books, it's available. So Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, you can look under Donald Thompson, Underestimated, a CEO's Unlikely Journey to Success, and you're able to buy the book. And, and thank you for that space to share that. That's terrific. May I please ask, do you have a website or are you on social media at all? Because our listeners- I am on social media. So donaldthompson.com, you can get access to blogs, insight, but LinkedIn is also a great place for us to connect. Reach out and I'll reach back. Terrific. Listeners, no excuse. This book is available everywhere. This great book, Underestimated, A CEO's Unlikely Path to Success. Uh, pick up one for yourself. And as you know, and thank God for Monday, we're very Franciscan here. We don't hold on to the good. We share the good. Buy one for someone. Else. This makes, I know I'm biased, this makes a fabulous holiday gift for someone. So please, please spread the great news around. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success uh, by Donald Thompson. And check out his website and check out his social media as well. Donald Thompson, we can't thank you enough. I'm thank God for Monday today. This has gone way too quickly. We could have really spoken for hours. Thank you for all this incredible work you're doing to improve the workplace, to improve the world. And we just wish you continued joy and success and great contribution as we end up 2022 and go into the new year, sir. Thanks for having me, Greg. This has been really fun. Listeners, that's about a wrap for today. This is Greg saying, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Donald does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. And until next week's episode, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.